It was beautiful, wasn't it? I come in this morning. Helen's already here. She's excited early this morning. And I asked her, are you ready, Helen? And she just, she goes, I'm so excited. And she says, Dave, if you had told me two years ago, this is where I'd be today, this is what I'd be doing, I would have told you you were nuts. I, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it. But that's Easter Sunday. We got to be honest. Easter Sunday is unbelievable. Even if you've been a Christian for years and years and years, if, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that Easter Sunday is, is unbelievable. It's one of the hardest things for people to believe about Christianity because, number one, people don't come back from the dead. People who die stay dead. That is just an intellectual, we got to kind of get over that. We don't understand that. Uh, it makes Easter Sunday a little bit unbelievable. Maybe it's almost too good to be true when I think of it that way. I think the first Easter Sunday, the disciples, that's exactly what they experienced. You can only imagine what Friday was like. Friday, where the leader, the, the one that we followed, the Messiah, that we had all these expectations for, that we thought was going to give us everything that we needed, that was going to free us from all the things that put us in bondage, uh, the one that we counted on for everything, was crucified. It looked like it was over. It was done. We would go back to life the way that it was, the way before we hoped that things could change and that, that the world might be transformed, back to just normal. He's dead. Saturday... They move on to the grieving process. They're mourning. It's despair. It's darkness. It had to be a lot of confusion for the disciples on Saturday, trying to figure out where do we go from here now? What do we do now? Everything that we've been taught, every direction that we've been going, that he's been leading us, now put in doubt, now wondering what it is, that what was this all for, and was God in any of this, and what are we supposed to do? And we read in the Gospels about the Sunday morning of Easter, and we read that that's exactly, you know, nobody was expecting that all of a sudden they'd see Jesus risen. He had tried to teach them about that, but it's unbelievable. It's so hard to believe. So one of the things that happened is uh, some of the women who have been following Jesus, they, they go to the tomb. They go to the tomb not expecting to find a risen Jesus. They go to the tomb uh, just expecting that things were the way they had been for the last day or two. And then uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, she shows up and she finds that the, the stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb had been rolled away and that Jesus' body was no longer there. And she doesn't think, oh, he's been resurrected from the dead. None of us would think that. Instead, she thinks somebody's stolen his body. It's the logical conclusion. What's happened to Jesus? And then she finds that there's two men. She thinks they're men. Turns out they're angels, but she doesn't know. And she's weeping. She's crying. She's in grief and mourning. And they say, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which means teacher, my teacher. I love this. This is one of my favorite lines in the entire Easter story. It's one of the greatest mistakes that's not really a mistake. It says that Mary, supposing he was the gardener, she thought he was the gardener. 
She thought he was just, just cleaning up and, and tending whatever it was that was there around the tombs and all that kind of stuff. I love it because the Bible starts in a garden. The Bible starts with God creating a garden, creating uh, something that's supposed to be paradise. And what we read in those early chapters of the first book of the Bible is that God walked with people in the garden in harmony, in relationship, in beauty. But pretty soon after that, the people can't trust God. There's a barrier between them because of it. Sin comes into the world, and then eventually a whole bunch of other problems because of the sin, because of the lack of trust in God, because really they want to be like God, and then eventually death. And into the world that we all know, a world that is filled with oftentimes hurt and with pain, with struggle and conflict and challenges of all sorts. And when Mary looks and says, oh, you know, she thought he was the gardener, it seems like a mistake, but maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe it's the one who created the garden who's come back to tend it, to come back to put all things right again, to come back and to pull the weeds and then to provide all the nutrients proper to set things right and to grow that garden again, to make it all new. And Mary, she doesn't recognize Jesus until he calls her name, Mary. And then it's like she has this moment where her eyes are open and she sees it's Jesus. Maybe she sees it's the gardener who's come back to make all things right. The resurrection is hard for us to believe, logically, because people don't come back from the dead. We wouldn't expect them to. It's also hard for us to believe because uh, we all have things in our life that we wish we could be transformed through. We wish we could be different. We wish we could leave behind. And we live in the experience that that's not always true, that there are so many things that come against us. There's guilt. There's shame. There's, there's just challenges of, of trying to be good people or trying to be lovable or worthy or whatever it might be. And we wish that we could see sort of a transformation in our life. We wish that these things that we've already been singing about and talking about could be, but they aren't always. On Friday, we came together, and, and Justine mentioned this. We, we had uh, this cross here, and we talked about how on, on Good Friday, uh, Jesus was crucified, but, but that actually Jesus has also nailed our sin to the cross. And so we invited everyone who was here. Many of you were here. If you weren't, just tell you a little bit about it, um, just to take a little card and to write on it, uh, maybe something, a sin that you, was, you couldn't get over. Maybe it was a, a part of being part of the broken world, a pain or, or some kind of struggle or challenge that, that you just felt was, it was a big deal. And we invited people to come and, and pin that, nail it to the cross, and just to be reminded that Jesus nails our sin to the cross, that he has overcome it. He has conquered sin and offered us a new life. And we had a really powerful time coming around and, and nailing those things to the cross. And what I, love about, uh, what I love about the hope in Christianity, the hope of Easter Sunday, is that it's not naive to those things. We don't just say, oh, everything's fine. God's, God's going to make everything better. We don't need to worry about it. Hope actually starts in the reality that we all do struggle. So you'll see behind me some of the major themes that came up as, as we put those things on paper and as we nailed them to the cross, and you'll see the bigger words are the ones that just came up more often and more often more common. There are things like guilt or be feeling unworthy, shame, anger, fear, needing to be in control, and so many things that we came and said, these are things holding us back, things that we wish maybe weren't part of our lives, but that we would like to move on, and it can be very difficult for us to believe that we could be different people, that we could be free of some of those things. And yet, that's exactly what we've come to celebrate on Easter Sunday. 
even though it's unbelievable that there was one who came back from the dead, raised from the dead, Jesus. And not only that he was raised from the dead, but then he offers us that same kind of eternal life that we too might have a new life and a life that will preserve and has overcome death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, he understood all this stuff. He understood the broken world that we live in. Famously on the cross, one of the last things that Jesus said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? God, why are you not here? We often look at this and we say, well, this makes sense. Jesus is on the cross. He's talking about being abandoned. He's saying, God, where are you? God, why have you not shown up? God, why would you allow them to arrest me, to to beat me, to mock me, to crucify me? And this is one of the last things. And out of his, his soul, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Why have you not shown up? I got to hear uh, Helen's story uh, before today, um, and when she shared it with me, she said something very similar. She shared it here this morning with you as well, that there was a long time where she looked back in her life through some of the challenges, some of the pain and the hurt, and had anger towards God, saying, God, why were you not there? Jesus could identify with that. But Jesus was doing even more than just calling out uh, abandonedness. Jesus, we know that he knew his Bible very well. Uh, He was a Jew. He would have known the Hebrew Bible, which is what the uh, Christians now call uh, the Old Testament, but he would have known it extremely well. And when he uses these words, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm, Psalm 22. It's this very powerful Psalm, and the the Jews would often, uh, when they went to the Psalms, use the first line of the poem, each poem, as the title. So instead of coming up with a title, they would just talk about it in the first line. The first line of Psalm, 20, Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me or why have you abandoned me? And when you read it, go home today and read through Psalm 22. When you read it, I'll, I'll read a bit of it. You'll understand why Jesus, when he's being crucified, when he's going through all that pain and hurt, would quote it. In fact, you might even get chills thinking about Jesus on the cross and identifying with some of these words. Listen to just some different passages from it. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I will lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. Jesus is saying, I'm calling out to you. Are you even going to answer if you have abandoned me? You are supposed to be the God of Israel, the one that everybody praises, the one who's holy, the one who is enthroned, the one who is in charge. Well, then where are you? He identifies with that sentiment. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Keep reading and just think of Jesus who'd been beaten and stripped, uh, mocked, His clothes torn away and and gambled off. Listen to some of these things from Psalm 22. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Skip down a few verses. My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. 
They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. You get why Jesus would quote it on the cross. When they're gambling for his clothes, when they're mocking him, when they've beaten him, when they've pierced his hands and his feet, he knows the psalm to go to. He identifies with all of the pain, all of the worst pain, all of the worst suffering, and the feeling that perhaps God has abandoned, that God has not been present. God, why would you allow this to be the story? Like I told you, and like Helen told you, something she experienced, something all of us might, might be tempted to say is, well, God, why were you never there? Helen told us that there was a moment uh, where God opened her eyes, and when she was able to receive Jesus, all of a sudden she looked back on her life, and her perspective has changed. She realized that so many things could have happened to her. She could have ended up in so many different places in life, but today she would call herself blessed. And actually, that when she used to look back and wonder where God was... She now looks back and realizes he was always with her, always protecting her, always providing for her, always bringing her through. Psalm 22 has a pivot to that, starting around verse 23. The psalmist says, Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all of you descendants of Israel. For because he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy, he has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. And when Jesus quotes the first line, he just might as well be quoting the last part in saying even in the darkest of moments, he was trusting God to know that God saw him and heard him and that God would come through. God would show up. And so on Easter Sunday, we remember the cross of Friday but we celebrate the tomb that is empty because Jesus is alive, that Friday is not the end of the story. And here's the beautiful thing is that the story of Jesus and the story of Easter Sunday is not just the story about Jesus. And it's not only the story that Jesus was resurrected from the dead by his father, by God, his father. That's the basis. That is the foundation. But listen to this. We read this on Good Friday if you were here. And I just let this pop out to you. This is about the crucifixion. and It comes from Matthew chapter 27 around Jesus' crucifixion. It says, at that moment, The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, top from bottom. That is the curtain that divided people from the Holy of Holies, where the the concentrated presence of God was, was, and where people, except for the high priest, could not go into. It was just too holy, too much for them, but now torn out, like the presence of God burst out into the world where we could all experience Him. And the earth shook, and rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Did you ever read that part? And you go, wait, what? I mean, it's hard to believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, there were other tombs that were open and people who were in them came out. We're just, it's not getting more believable. It's getting harder to believe. You got to be kidding. What are we supposed to do with this? What is going on? But this is the powerful message of the resurrection of Jesus. That is to say that what God did in Jesus, God wants to do in us. He wants to do in all of creation. What God did in resurrecting Jesus and bringing him to new life is what he wants to do in your life, and it's what he's doing in all of creation. He's the gardener who has come to set things all back 
to the way that they should be, to restore and renew and bring life where there was death, to bring light out of darkness, to conquer death fully, and to bring good where there was only evil. It is the most beautiful and powerful story. What God has done in Jesus is what God is doing in all of creation, and it's what He's doing in us. If we're willing to open our eyes and receive it, His grace and His forgiveness. And I get that it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And there are people who have a bunch of logical uh, explanations and arguments, and we could get into it, and some of them are really good. But today, my argument is simply to bring up someone like Helen and to have her say that. So today, we celebrate that death has been swallowed up in victory. And thanks be to God who gives us that victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we say thank you. We are here to celebrate that Jesus died for us to forgive our sins on the cross, that he has risen and reigns with you, that he has given us the Holy Spirit to empower our lives. And we thank you that the power that raised Jesus Christ is the power that we now too can experience. And it's the power that is seeping into every crevice and crack in this world and that will bring all things to rights, make all things new. And so it's in the powerful and loving name of Jesus that we pray and give you praise today. Amen.